Hey, welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. You can learn more about Youth Pastor Theologian online at youthpastortheologian.com or find us on social media at Youth Theologian. I'm your host, Mike McGarry. Thanks for joining us for this conversation about practicing theology and youth ministry. I'm here in our online studio with my friend Danny Kwan. Danny is the youth and family pastor at a church just outside of Philadelphia. He is an adjunct uh, youth ministry professor and the author of multiple youth ministry books, most recently Mission Tripping, a guide to youth ministry missions, and he's also the author of a, a Youth Workers Field Guide to Parents, which I would commend to every listener. Danny. Welcome. How are you doing? Good, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. So, um, I always enjoy these questions that we ask our guests before we dig into the topic of the episode uh, to get to know you as a teenager a little bit. So, I sent a list to you the other night, and you said that you had a really fun conversation with your wife about some of these. Um, so, the one that you selected is, who was your favorite athlete as a teenager so who do you got so first of all native of philadelphia grew up here cheesesteaks water ice soft pretzels rocky <laughs> love everything about philly and uh been a huge eagles fan uh, my whole life and so in general sports wise football is my favorite sport love the eagles my oldest son was a big football star and uh, Philadelphia area. Um, he was recruited and so loved football and, uh, grew up in the late eighties in high school. But, um, so the Eagles were my favorite team and my favorite player. I didn't know it at the time because I just loved the Eagles. But when my son was a senior and he won this Maxwell club award, the host of the banquet was, uh, Ron Jaworski, the Eagles quarterback from the Eagles. Oh 80s. my goodness. And that's a name I haven't heard him. or thought of in a long uh, time. The Polish rifle, <laughs> you know, he, that, that's what they called him. And uh, he was so, I, I mean, I loved him already as a player, but I just love the Eagles in general. But meeting him, talking about my dad um, who passed away and never got to see them win the Super Bowl. We watched them in 1980 when I was. You know, just a young kid in the Super Bowl against the Raiders. They lost, but it's okay. And just his, just his, just warmth and, and caring conversation and just engaging at this huge sports banquet, but taking time to talk from, talk with me. I'm like, that, that day I went back and bought a retro Jaworski jersey. <laughs> you know, I wear it to the football games when I, when I get to go. You know, as a pastor, it's hard to go every Sunday, yeah. but my brother's a season ticket holder. So every two times a year, Monday night, yeah. Sunday night games. And I just, he's just, he's just, just as engaging as he is on TV mm -hmm. in person, just fun, warm, engaging, warm, warm guy. And I just, you know, he, he's my favorite player now, Yeah, still, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just meeting him just even more reaffirmed that he, he, he is, you know, he's, he's the real deal, yeah. you know? 
Yeah, yeah. So Ron Jaworski. Nice. I approve. I love it. We when I was growing up, so I think most listeners know by now. So I'm New England, right? So I'm from Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, when the Patriots have a home game, I have to take a different route to church. Um, so, um, but when I was growing up, the Patriots were terrible, kind of like we are now. Um, and so everyone had their, their local team and a secondary team. And I loved Joe Montana. I thought that everything about him was just incredible. And so every time the 49ers would play the Eagles, it didn't matter. (laughs) It didn't matter how terrible the Eagles were that season. I was like, Oh, we're going to lose. So I just have this inner childhood hatred of the Eagles because my 49ers would always lose to the Eagles. Super strange. And then, of course, the Patriots lost in the Super Bowl, and I'm still not over it. Just one time, like like we talked about before this podcast, love the Eagles, but we only have one Super Bowl, so I can't rag on my Dallas, New England. Yeah. San Francisco for fans because they always just say, "Well, how many Super Bowls?" Yeah, do you hey, have? well, you guys earned that win. Uh, I gotta say, you know, yeah. you were definitely the better team that game. So, congratulations to the Eagles. Um, so, and Nick Nick Foles, the future youth right? pastor. I always yeah, say. yeah, youth pastor theologian Nick Foles, Super Bowl winner. <laughs> <laughs> Um, hey, so in this episode, we're talking about um, faith that endures, right? So how do we help students uh, develop enduring faith? The, one of the ways that I like to say it is that the, the mission of youth ministry is not to make teenage disciples, but to make adult disciples whose faith took root during their teen years, right? That's our mission. Mm-hmm. That's why youth ministry exists um, that's what we as as parents and as youth workers are trying to accomplish, not just teenage faith, but adult faith. Um, so how do we how do we go about that? Um, Danny, you've been a youth pastor for roughly a century. Um, so <laughs> come on, that was that was funny. Um, <laughs> so uh, what what have I feel what like have a- you observed? Uh, what are some trends that you've observed um, over? Uh, the last few decades of, of ministry um, that have played into teenagers increasingly leaving their faith behind as they graduate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I love teenagers, love hanging out with them. Maybe they don't meet anymore because I've been doing it for a century. <laughs> but, um, um, you know, I say this all the time. I, I serve in a Korean American immigrant church context where the parents are Korean speaking and the students are mostly Korean Americans, normal everyday teenagers, but they're ethnically Korean. Mm -hmm. Um, But also because of that cultural heritage that we have, um, especially on the East Coast, Korean American churches, California is a little different because immigration patterns were earlier. But here, I always say that our our church context has been maybe like a half generation behind the American church context. Mm -hmm. So seeing the church over, you know, I've been doing it now 29 years at my church. I've seen this shift in the immigrant church with parents who are 
purely immigrants, Korean speaking, very diligent to church. And some of that was because the Korean church was like a sociological gathering place for them, yeah. a, a, a refuge from normal everyday yeah. life um, where they could gather with Koreans. And so church was important and raising their kids in faith was um, very important. But again, right before my eyes, because again, we're, I always felt like we're about a half generation behind the last 10 years, seeing parents who are now more westernized and I don't want to make American culture sound evil, but more Americanized and um, just, just part of everyday American culture. Um, seeing parents who are, um, you know, just, just now they, they don't need the church anymore to, as a gathering place for other Koreans. They don't need the church to go eat Korean food or go watch Korean mm -hmm. movies because they have Netflix and Korean restaurants. So church has lost some of its significance and importance. Yeah. And so what that means is one of the trends that I've seen is the secularization, for lack of a better word, of parents and their teenagers. Um, that faith has taken a um, back step or yeah. a um, less of an importance. And so this idea of, um, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons why kids leave faith after youth yeah. group. But I think one of the bigger, bigger, biggest reasons is secularization at home mm -hmm. from their parents. Yeah. And their parents sending them to church um, versus, you know, now church is just one of many good options. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, vilifying sports and student, you know, uh, leadership at school or sleepover mm -hmm. or academics or band and orchestra, community service, having a job. But in my context, especially, I've seen it go where church was the most important thing versus now churches, you know, especially with their parents, you know, mm. trickling down to their teenagers, just one of many yeah. good yeah. things. And so, you know, one of many good options. And along with that, the busyness of teenagers with these many choices and options, I think that's all cultures, but, you know, kids have so many more options, including just staying home and playing computer games or being on social media, but, you know, they have sports and, and student yeah. council at school and, and, and jobs and community service clubs and orchestra and band and church. Again, it's just one of mm -hmm. many good options. Yeah. And, and so, that does have an effect on church attendance and youth group and the opportunity to disciple and teach and care for teenagers. Yeah. So, um, we had exchanged some messages, um, just the other week about, uh, a Twitter thread that we saw yeah, about, uh, the generational drift away from faith and, 
um, using church attendance kind of as the foil for that, right? Of uh, the first generation values the church, and then the next kind of, yeah, we'll be there every once in a while. And then the next generation is kind of like, eh, I might attend like, you know, a few times a year. And then the next generation is like, why would I bother doing that? Um, So could you just chew on just what is the generational impact of devaluing um, the priority of we will be at church every Sunday? And is it really about church attendance or what else is, what else is going on there? You know, one example, I, you know, they're never going to, they're not youth pastors, so they won't hear this, but being at my church for 29 years, I had a student who was, you know, just in the mid nineties, who was super dedicated, super, you know, in the disciple, she was discipled by me and really into the youth group. And I now have her kids in the youth group. And it's, you know, pretty incredible yeah. that I have like That's awesome, five or it? six families that I, I have kids of kids. Yeah. Um, but she was super dedicated in youth group. I think as a young married couple, they were pretty involved in church. But as they grew older, you know, taking their kids to soccer and ski trips. And these things are all good in, of themselves. There's nothing evil about, you know, soccer and and, and ski trips and all, but they started drifting away from coming out on Sundays because of travel soccer and ski trips and summer vacations. And, you know, there, and then again, as a mother and then her daughters were in the youth group, I slowly saw their daughters, you know, coming out to church less and less. And then, kind of losing interest, not coming out all the time. And now I just talked to the father who still comes out diligently every Sunday, but he felt so bad to me, but he just explained to me that his wife and his children have lost interest in church. And, you know, he's so apologetic to me. And I said, hey, there's no shame. And still going to love and care for your wife and your teenagers, Mm -hmm. but just seeing that, that drift where, you know, church is just one of many priorities or one of many choices and how that leads to, again, church attendance does not predict lifelong faith. It's not an indicator of that, but getting them in the door the opportunity to hear God's word, to be discipled, to be part of the youth group is, is so important. Mm-hmm. And again, I really like that, that idea that kids are not being secularized when they get to college and lose their yeah. faith. But I think, I don't mean to be mean to parents, but I think they're getting secularized in their teenage years by what happens at yep. home. Yeah. And that, often leads to what happens when they leave youth group. Because like you, as you introduced youth pastor theologian, I have a phrase in my youth group, the most important time of youth group is after youth group. Like, like you know, when like a lot of churches say, God is good all the yeah. time, all the time, God is yeah. good. In my youth group, I say the most important time of youth group is, and the kids will say, after youth group. Yeah. 
And I'm like, after youth group is the most important time of yeah. youth group. And we, we do that yeah. as kind of like our funny yeah. little yeah. thing. But, um, you know, but that's, that's what I hope to see. But again, I, 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 I'm seeing more of this trend right before my eyes as the Korean church has again been half generation behind of, mm-hmm. of what the secularization of parents has done to the secularization of their mm-hmm. kids. And, and so I, I really believe in parent ministry and ministering to parents and youth and family ministry. Yeah, yeah. that's a good word. Um, and I, I think that gets to one of my concerns sometimes, and it has to do with the gospel um, and gospel and parenting. Um, when we turn the gospel into a good idea, then it's just a good idea. Um, and how yeah. are we helping parents to remember that the gospel is more than just a good idea? Um, but if we, if kids go home and they never actually see grace and they never actually receive grace, but then they come to yeah. church and they hear all about grace. Then, then grace is just a good idea. The gospel is just a good idea, yeah. but how are we helping parents to really build on the gospel and to practice it at home? Yeah. 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 And again, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I do want, you know, younger youth workers and even my yeah. age youth workers, like, you mentioned my first book, A Youth Worker's Field Guide to Parents, um, you know, and uh, this idea in that book was really understanding, the subtitle is Understanding Parents of Teenagers. I always say the subtitle should have really been not Understanding Parents of Teenagers, but Why I Hate Parents of Teenagers. <laughs> oh, come on now. Kind of a joke. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of a joke, but, you know, as I became a parent of teenagers, I realized it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I say I had good teenagers. I I had good Mm -hmm. kids and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And, uh, so I, again, I, I, I wrote that, that, you know, youth workers could have a gospel heart for parents, Mm -hmm. not to be angry at them, bitter, they're secularizing yeah. their kids. You know what's wrong with them, but how we can love mm-hmm. and care for them and resource them and and just be available for them. Yeah. So uh, I think that dovetails into this this next question of how can we as youth workers, right? How can how can we um, intentionally lead a youth ministry to prioritize making lifelong disciples? instead of just settling for like those big, big impacts, flashy events right now. Right. So how do we, how do we structure yeah. and plan and lead for that lifelong impact instead of just the short term? Well, first of all, I do want to say that I'm not against big nope. events. Me and I know you're not yep. either, Mike, you know, I love retreats, yep. mission trips, big gatherings, fun games. I used to be called the game master. <laughs> I'm old now and, Kids don't like those games anymore. (laughs) So, um, but, um, you know, one of the things I do, uh, you know, um, there's this uh, professor of youth ministry, Jim Engels, who had this thing called the Steps of Faith, or Duffy Robbins is a youth ministry guru. It's the programming funnel Mm -hmm. 
or, or Doug Field's book, Purpose Driven Youth Ministry, where he had this onion of layers of programming, um, the core and then the crowd, mm-hmm. and then each layer was, you know, a different audience that you minister to. And so I, I, I have a volunteer in my youth ministry for like 15 years, used to be a former student uh, in the youth group. And early on as a volunteer, he told me something that shook me. He said, you know, Danny, when I was in youth group, you never knew me because I was a good kid. And I was like, what does that mean? But he was a good Christian kid. And I guess I never paid attention to him because I didn't, you know, I was programming for big things and fun and also for like the really rebellious kids. And, uh, and so I think it's important that, you know, the programming funnel talks about different layers of big events for crowd and seekers versus, you know, you know, more, you know, people who are coming regularly to then also programming for discipleship and, and, and student leaders. And I think it's really important that from a more programmatic and, and again, you know, you know, you know, it's really important to make sure that you do have a balance of those things so that the gospel can be um, conveyed to different audiences and their different um, needs and um, spiritual growth where they're at. The Steps of Faith by Jim Engels talks about, you know, just non-believers to young believers to disciples. And, and so I, I just think it's important, you know, for youth ministries to make sure that you have a uh, balance of all of that. You know, my I, I have a youth ministry internship program. 28 young youth workers have gone through it. And one of my old interns, uh, he uh, took over a ministry at our church um, after he finished our youth ministry internship mm-hmm. program. And he had a, this is in the early 2000s when iPod, iPods were big <laughs> and he had an iPod giveaway. Oh, man. And a hundred people showed up to his mm-hmm. event. And I remember all the people in the church, all the leaders were like, you know, it was like a, it was like a welcoming newcomer seeker yeah. event. And a lot of the church leaders came up to me after and said, what happened in your ministry? Why don't you have a hundred people? And that's where actually, you know, you have to really apply the gospel to yeah, your own heart. That's hard. Say I'm loved by Christ and say, you know, Christ is my identity and it's not about numbers and bigness. And, you know, my job is to be faithful as Keller says, and God's job is to be fruitful. Um, but there was such a big focus on numbers, but I, not in an evil way, but I knew in my heart, that's not what I taught him. <laughs> First yeah. of all, my intern. And within three weeks, his group was back to 15 people. And again, that's that's not bad either. But it's yeah. more this emphasis on numbers yeah. and hugeness that can also crush a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I as youth workers, 
you know, the, the numbers game and applying the gospel to our own hearts and knowing that, again, going back to this idea of big events versus making sure that discipleship and theological training, you know, and, and whoever is part of that is also very important and it is a vital part of your ministry and probably in some way more important because yeah. that's what's producing, you know, the long-term fruit. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a struggle that we face in youth work, isn't yeah. it? Um, that um, the big events are not the enemy. Fun and games are yeah. not the enemy. Um the flashy stuff even is not the enemy. Um, But I I guess I'm thinking back, uh, I forget how exactly he said it, but in previous episode of the podcast, I was talking with Kyle Hoffsmith about teaching the Bible. Mm. And I remember asking him, um, what are some reasons that youth pastors don't always just prioritize teaching the Bible and getting kids to read the Bible? I remember him saying something along the lines of, well, if if you're always trying to do something fun, then you're never going to just open up the Bible with students. Because that's not really super fun. Yeah. And that's not going to get high attendance. But is there a better way to make disciples than to invite students to open up God's Word and to read it together? Yeah. So, yeah, I was really thankful for your faithfulness in, in that and refusing. And, yeah. you know, I oh, I use big events to, yeah. I don't want to say attractional, because I know over the years that's gotten, you know, some negative, a lot of negative yeah. press. But I, I do think it gets kids in the door yeah. if they enjoy a event or a ski trip or a retreat. You know, we just had a first retreat in three years because of COVID. And it's amazing after that retreat, how many kids said, I want to sign up for discipleship mm-hmm. now, you know, because we had this great event. Um, so again, it can get foots in, in people in, in yeah. the door, but it's not the end all be all. Right. And, and the end all be all is, you know, the word of God and discipleship yeah. and the gospel getting in their hearts and what happens after youth group? That's the most important time of <laughs> youth group to that's me. True. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah and that's yeah. what I was saying. Is I just really appreciate how you don't. Um, you've been a good model for me uh, to follow in refusing to follow either extreme. Like, oh, we're just going to be a discipleship focused ministry, and um, just we're just going to study the word to the exclusion of big events and outreach and things that do bring students in. That because it's more fun oriented, um, but then you know the other side too. That is just kind of lights, camera, action, games, and then tack on a Bible verse at the end. Like let's not do that either. So yeah, that just yeah. balanced approach to ministry that's put in the Bible in students' hands. Um, I think one of the one of the best ways that I think we would both agree. Um, to make lifelong, to prioritize making lifelong disciples has to do with how do we partner with parents, right? Um, how are we yeah. equipping them? How are we collaborating with parents? And one of the things that um, 
that that you've said um, multiple times in your book and other places where I've I've heard you talk um, too is like we need to be willing to have hard conversations with with parents. Like if if we want to partner with parents, then we need to be willing to actually talk with them about more than just hey we need food for youth group on Sunday or whatever. Right. So is there a way? For youth pastors to have hard conversations with parents when they observe patterns that might be deprioritizing faith to their kids. Yeah. And, you know, I, I take a very proactive, you know, first of all, like I said, joke around, like the subtitle of my book was Understanding Parents and Teenagers, but I always say I, I, I kind of started writing it because why I hate parents of teenagers and I still think it's the hardest part of youth ministry for me, even after all these years, you know, a kid doesn't like Bible study, small group goes home, tells his parents, parents get upset at you. They complain to the church and your boss is on your case. And, you know, you know, one parent can be, can be mm-hmm. hard yeah. and you need the gospel to apply it to yep. yourself. But, um, I, as a practice, just, Generally speaking, like after church service on Sunday, I try to greet all the parents um, as much as I say hello and greet teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to let them know that I'm available for them. I care for them. Um, I really want to love them. Um, wh- whichever way they take it, I just want to show my face and yeah. show that I care for them as people too that during COVID I, you know, when they weren't coming out, I went around to every family with a little gift bag, just dropped it off at the door and texted the parents and said, Hey, I dropped off a gift bag Mm. for you. I know that's not possible in every context, but for my context, it was, it was possible. And, um, and then when I do see something that might be, um, you know, not good for the kids or some, behavior that's impeding in the faith of the kid. I, I usually take a step to um, talk to the parents and say, Hey, could I come visit your, 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 your daughter or son? Could I take them out to eat? Could I spend some time yeah. with them? And most parents say, yes, you know, the, the youth pastor's coming to visit, having a meal, having a talk. And then I'll, you know, so I'll do some ministry with the kid and then, you know, it's their kid and, you know, they, they, most of the time they love their kid. And, and so I, I use that opportunity to go and um, then talk to the parents and say, Hey, you know, your kid, you know, they love youth group, you know, would you be able to send them more? And, you know, I try to just be very graceful yeah. and, and find ways to not embarrass them shame them, you know, during COVID and post COVID, even I'm in the supermarket and I see parents who aren't coming as regularly and they're like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, Hey, it's, it's okay. Just come out when you can, or we'd love to see you. And, um, you know, you know, I, I just think like my wife's a counselor and a psychologist and people usually go to see her when they need mm-hmm. help. And I think as a youth worker in the same way, we just try to 
be available for the parents, know we're there for them and their family. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times when they have an issue, they will, as long as we're faithful and, and know that, you know, we're available and caring, they'll come to us. Um, now, again, as far as tough conversations, again, I, I again, I do find, again, reaching out to the kid first and then talking to the parent, um, you know, just going over and saying, hey, could I have a cup mm-hmm. of coffee with you or meet up with you and, and, and using language that is not accusatory yeah. or, you know, it has to be really gospel centered and, 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 and loving and compassionate and non-judgmental. Mm-hmm. Why did you bring your kids to youth group? <laughs> Why are you taking them to soccer? Yeah. You know, stop messing up your like, kids. You know, as right? I mentioned, yeah, 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 yeah. Because again, I think they are messing up their kids. But you know, what can we do except, yeah. you know, walk alongside them and and you know, like again, I mentioned that mom who used to be really yeah. involved in youth group as a student and recently stopped and coming out. Her daughters have lost yeah. interest, and I'll text yeah. her, say, "Hey, we miss you. We miss your daughters." You know, please come out if there's anything you mm-hmm. need, you know, you know, and um, so just finding yeah. graceful, gentle ways to do that. Yeah. And, um, y- you know, we're not going to get them all. Mm-hmm. Um, but my wife came up with this idea of glitches. You know, she's a counselor where people come to see her, but she's also my wife and helps me serve in the youth ministry, serves with me. And, um, you know, like we had a family where the two oldest kids got into Harvard and the youngest kid was getting C's. Let's turn to the youth pastor. You know, we had a, you know, with mental health, you know, they need resources and help. Mm -hmm. Let's turn to the youth pastor. Mm -hmm. And if we can just be steady and faithful and and I and, and just loving and graceful, and they know we're available in the caring ministry. We want to resource them and care for them. And, and I think when when there's a need, people then will tend to eventually and hopefully yeah. turn to the youth ministry in the church. Yeah. So I'm thinking about um, the listener who's you know in their first few years as as a youth pastor um maybe they're married maybe they're not um maybe they have kids probably not so thinking about about them right so say i'm a 25 26 year old youth pastor um without kids and parents are terrifying um and i'm seeing some concerning stuff going on but they the parents are not my peer um what do you, how do you recommend that youth pastor to pursue those conversations and to cultivate a, a genuine sense of partnership with parents? Yeah. Yeah. You know, first of all, it's not easy. I, I started when I was 22 and one of the most defeating lines I used to get was, you're not a parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
discouraging, condescending as a young youth worker. Um, and then, again, we're talking about younger youth workers. Me now raising teenagers, again, like I said earlier, I, I finally understood this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And it gave me such more of an appreciation of, again, I see old youth group students who are young and married with kids and they were former youth group students and they come up and say hi to me at church. And I'm like, you're raising kids, young children. That's easy. Wait till you have teenagers. It's physically harder when you're younger. Yeah. But as my wife talks about as a counselor, as I talk about in you know, my book and other places, the spiritual battle for parents of teenagers, the battle against flesh and blood of your own teenagers is so hard. Yep. And again, I have good kids and it was hard. And uh, so I think as young youth workers, especially, you know, first just having a compassionate gospel-centered heart for your parents who I think deep down inside they would all, you know, confess their trying their best. They don't know, you know, what do you do about technology? I mean, I, my kids were teenagers when iPhones were, you know, you know, they, you know, we, we had iPhones, but wasn't as, you know, popular for teenagers to get yeah. iPhones and I got them hand-me-downs and I didn't let them have iPhones till, you know, you know, our hand-me-downs till 14, 15 and they're all angry at me and things like that. But Nowadays, with iPods and iPads and computers yeah, and iPhones, I mean, how do you deal with technology in your house mm -hmm. and, and and restrictions and and getting kids off their phones? I, I just think it's unbelievably hard. And, and um, so, again, a lot of grace and compassion. Um, I would, you know, I have a you know, our youth group grew over the years, so we we have about 200 youth group students. But, you know, when I have like a parenting event, I'll have 30 parents. Yeah. You know, and, but I, I've learned not to get discouraged mm -hmm. by that. I've learned that it's my job to offer resources and care for parents. Um I know, Mike, in your chapter in Gospel-Centered uh, Ministry, you write about it never hurts to over-communicate. Yeah. You have to over-communicate. So I'll send newsletters with articles written about raising your teenager, how to raise them in faith, while it's important, mm -hmm. why it's important. I'll give sermon illustrations to my senior pastor and saying, could you preach this to the church and to parents? Mm -hmm. Um I'll offer parenting seminars and prayer meetings. And again, a big youth group, I'll only get 30 yeah. parents. But as Keller says again, it's our job to be yep. faithful and God's job to be mm -hmm. fruitful. And that's the gospel. And so, you know, with young youth workers, be faithful. Yeah. You know, offer resources and 
offer help and greet your parents on Sunday, offer visitations. Mm -hmm. I know not everybody's full time here like I am, so I could do a lot more of this stuff, but offer articles and books and, 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 you know, be faithful with that and let God be fruitful because again, it, it can be overwhelming and discouraging with parents who are difficult or not steering their kids in the wrong way. But, you know, our identities in Christ where we have the gospel in our own hearts and let's just try to be faithful to God's faithfulness Yeah, and let God be fruitful. Let's do be excellent in what we can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. And, and we don't want to be harsh towards parents who are not giving the gospel to their kids, right? Isn't that super ironic? Um, you know, give, yeah, give yeah. parents the same gospel that you are encouraging them to give their kids. Um, you know, encourage yeah, them, yeah. strengthen them, invite them to find rest in Christ instead of keeping more burdens onto their already weary shoulders. Um, right. So, yeah, it's a good And again, they might not always receive yeah. it, but I think, I think, whether yeah. in God's timing, yeah. you know, like I, 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 you know, I text kids all the time, but what about texting a parent about yeah. a verse, a little yeah. encouraging message again, offering to visit them and, and care for them or having a cup of coffee yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, I think everything we do with kids, we can do with parents. Right. Cause of course we're graceful yeah. and loving and with, with, with kids and, I tried to do that with parents as well, mm-hmm. even though it's hard. Yeah. I, I I must admit my temptation to be angry and frustrated. It's true. Hate that. I, I hear you. You know. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. and if you had youth group and only a small handful of students showed up, what would you do? Right? You'd say, okay, well, this is who I got, so this is who I'm going to minister to. Um, when you have a, a parenting thing and there's 200 kids. Uh, and 30 parents show up, guess what? It's probably going to be the same 30 every time you do something like this. So you know what? <laughs> that's that's your too. core team. Like that's that's your core yeah. team of, of partners. So how can you minister to them and empower them to minister to the other parents in the ministry and think missionally yeah. about your ministry to parents too, instead of just thinking, oh, they're so unsupportive, right? <laughs> like, okay, yeah. so you got 30, that's... That's good, like right. So, uh, yeah. whatever scale uh, you have in in your own ministry, listener, um, just start with what you got, and, and build from there. And um, if you're ministering to the parents, um, in, in some ways, approach it the same way as you would if uh, you're thinking about your ministry to students. So, Danny, yeah, and like I just yeah. add on to that, like I said, those thirty will. Mm-hmm maybe ministering care for yeah, other parents exactly. or just the other 170 somehow if they have a glitch or yeah. a situation or a problem, hope they know that your ministry is being faithfully caring to yeah. parents. So they'll turn to you when there's a need right. or trouble. And yeah, cause they've seen you know, that you're trying, but if you're not even yeah. trying yeah. and they have a need, then why would they reach out to you? Yeah. 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 So, um, as we wrap up the conversation, Danny, any uh, final words 
about passing on the faith, um, a, a lifelong faith to students. And uh, we've covered uh, a lot of territory in this conversation. Um, but do you have any final words that you'd like to, to bring up for our listeners? You know, like as you said, again, introducing youth pastor theologian and what I do with my youth group, I really try my best to almost make it like a vision statement or, or motto for our youth group. Um, you know, not only in practice and teaching and discipleship, but every other week probably I, I say to them, the most important time of youth group is after youth group. I've made it a theological, philosophical foundation, not only for the parents, but for the teenagers. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's in important for them to hear and as we practice that it's it's also important to you know help them integrate their faith be part of the church community and all that but i think it's important to set that standard and and vision for their for the students um from when they're a young age and again i i because i've been at my church for a lot of years I've seen kids even fall away from faith during college, but when they get married and have kids of their own, I've seen a lot of them come mm-hmm. back. You know, they either want to raise their own kids in faith. And it's just for me, God's faithfulness and fruitfulness that that kind of, you know, really casting that God's vision and mission for them to be lifelong disciples um, was was put into their heart as a seed. And and again, being 30 years at the church, I, I've seen a lot of that. And just, just probably not been a lot of research on that long-term aspect. You know, I know a lot of research has been what happens to kids after youth mm-hmm. group, but I hope the next, yeah, the next wave. research study can be yeah. maybe in yeah. something like yeah. this. You know, I've seen it being at one church for yeah. that long. Yeah. You know, the fruits of that, you know, of that planting those seeds. Yeah. That's a good word. Well, Danny, thanks for your ministry. Thanks for your friendship. And I uh, appreciate you um, coming on this episode. And uh, we'll drop a, a lot of Danny's information in the show notes here. So if you want to connect with him and follow up with him, then check out the show notes below. Listeners, do not grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in casting that seed uh, along the soils. Uh, The Lord knows what he's doing. Uh, He is the gardener, and he will continue to build his church. So let's keep on uh, throwing the seed of the gospel all over the place and trust the Lord to do what only he can do. Well, thanks for joining us for this conversation. Please visit youthpastortheologian.com to learn more about our resources You can find us on social media at Youth Theologian. We also have an active Facebook group where you can ask questions, share articles, and generally encourage fellow youth pastor theologians who are in the trenches with you. We'd sure appreciate it if you'd be so kind as to subscribe, leave a review, or even recommend this podcast to fellow youth workers. You can also subscribe to get new articles delivered to your inbox and to ensure that you don't miss any fresh content by checking out our website at youthpastortheologian.com. Most of all, we appreciate your ministry and your partnership in the gospel. 
if there's a topic that you'd like us to address, or if you have an article to submit for the blog, then you can also share those on our website by following the submissions tab. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus, and we'll see you next week.